Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to today's episode of Fertility Cafe. I'm your host, Eloise Drain. Today, we'll be talking and probably laughing along with the fabulous ladies from the book and podcast, If These Ovaries Could Talk, Jamie Kelton and Robin Hopkins. But first, a little background on our guests. Jamie Kelton and Robin Hopkins meet each year at the Pride family picnic with their wives and kids in tow. That's when then-pregnant Jamie pitched Robin the idea to make a podcast about LGBTQ families. One baby and countless beautiful stories later, the popular and award-winning podcast, If These Ovaries Could Talk, was born. Their mission is to normalize, elevate, and celebrate LGBTQ families, confirming they're just like other parents, trying not to yell at their kids while they still haven't put on their shoes, and they're 25 minutes late for school. And while a shining a spotlight on all the different ways non-traditional families get made, Jamie and Robin share their personal fertility journeys and their parenting adventures. If ever there were two people you'd want to hang out with, it's Jamie and Robin. Listen to their podcast, If These Ovaries Could Talk, read their new book, and join them on this amazing journey. You just can't help but love them. Thank you guys for guesting on my podcast. Uh, ladies, you usually start your podcast with an elevator pitch. Oh, 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 I'd like to hear yours. And Jamie, <laughs> since you came on first, I'm going to pick on you first. <gasps> yes. Oh, I'd like man. to kick things off by sharing a little bit, or rather, if you would, uh, kick things off, sharing a little bit about who you are. And then, and then I'll ask Robin for her elevator pitch. <laughs> Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, okay. So am I going? Am I doing this? You're doing it. Oh, geez. All right. Okay. My elevator pitch, me in 30 seconds. Okay. My name is Jamie Kelton. I am a gay mom. I have a podcast called If These Ovaries Could Talk that I co-host with my good friend, Robin Hopkins. Uh, I come from the entertainment world. I used to be in the musical theater world. So I am an entertainer at heart and I try to bring a lot of humor and fun to the conversations we have about LGBTQ families and what it's like living in a world built for straights. <gasps> you did that, that so good, good Jamie. Did I do that? Good, Robin. Okay. Uh -oh. I, it was like too busy. I was like too busy getting ready to make fun of Jamie, and then she did it so well, and now I gotta go. <sighs> good luck. Oh, she didn't really mean that. I don't know if you got that, Eloise. Okay. I'm Robin, and I am the co-host of If These Ovaries Could Talk alongside Jamie, my good pal. And um, we wrote a book together called If These Ovaries Could Talk, The Things That We've Learned About Making an LGBTQ Family. And Jamie and I like to try to say that really fast. Um, I am a lesbian and a mom of two. Um, I carried both the kids, and I'm also an actor and a writer and um, a producer. Ding! Boom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. and and within the thirty seconds too. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Mm -hmm. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, exactly. We've listened to a lot of these. Yeah. <laughs> Some, sometimes we do it where um, when people ask us to do the elevator pitch, like I do Jamie's and then she does mine, and that's fun too. That is we make fun of each other at the same time. All we do is make fun of each other. That's it's basically true. what we do. It's true. <laughs> and then we try to have important conversations with people who feel strongly about their families, which we do too. So, I mean, that's While we're making bad. fun that of each other. Wrong. Yeah. 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 But you know what? At least you can do that though. And at least you enjoy it. And at yes. least you like each other. So, you know, the, the worst part about it is having coworkers that you can't stand. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So. There are days. No, Whoa, Jamie. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. No, actually, Robin and I are really upfront that we even, we went to couples therapy to help Isn't that ridiculous? That hilarious. And we kept being like, we're not a couple. But we need you. We're business partners, but we still need you, lady. The therapist was like, well, this is an interesting situation. <laughs> I've never dealt with people who aren't in an actual relationship. And we were like, well, we are. That's the problem. We are in a relationship and we didn't plan this relationship. <laughs> it's like we got accidentally pregnant. Yeah. Now we're married. <laughs> Um, but actually, we we highly advocate for that for coworkers because it really helped us a lot. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And that's mm -hmm. actually something that I advocate for, um, especially when you're talking about working with a gestational carrier or even a known donor and then going through that process, which um, we'll get to in a minute. Mm -hmm. But yes, I agree. Like therapy is definitely, um, especially now, right now too. Oh like, my God, so necessary. The, oh my God. Yes, 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 yes. So, okay. I have to come right out of the gate with this. Yeah. What inspired you to choose the name of your book and podcast if these ovaries could talk? I mean, <laughs> mine could, would probably say a lot. <laughs> but I'm curious, how did you both decide on it? And how did if these ovaries could talk begin? Oh, well, Robin, why don't you take that? All right. Well, so the title, so the the podcast, Jamie had a lot of unexplained infertility, which she could tell you more about. And in terms of the title, we just, we did like a brainstorming session where we're like, it's got to say gay and it's got to say like LGBTQ people trying to make a baby. And so we did this awesome brainstorming session where we were like coming up with our log line and doing all the things that we do. We'd love to talk about this meeting. Like Jamie showed up, like, just like, we're going to do a podcast. And I opened up <laughs> 800 Google sheets and was like, Jamie was like, so scared of me. Um, Cause that's like, I've always been a producer. And so that's just like, I was like, all right, we're going to need a drive. We're going to need a folders. And then it was just went. Um, but so the, when we were talking about the title, it, we based it off of that, lesbian or LGBTQ uh, show called If These Walls Could Talk Too. It had like Ellen and Sharon Ellen. Stone. And a bunch of other making people. Making a baby and a bunch Ellen of like Tasha real... Leone. Yeah. Ellen that was, was the, the gay one. The third one was the one where they were having a baby together. And we were like, oh my God. And then we were just like, that title is it. And it just felt so right. And then my wife created the artwork and it just like, it was just like the, the branding, everything was so perfect. And we just, it just, I, ovaries are talking now, and that's just the way it was. These ovaries are talking. But Jamie, um, Jamie should fill in on the unexplained infertility because that's okay, how the so podcast. When Robin said, "I thought she was crazy," I really did. I thought this was going to be a um, a, a hobby on the side, <laughs> and this fun idea that came up. Um, I don't do I, hobbies. Yeah, I've learned that. Um, so, <laughs> so I I had unexplained. My my wife had our first child. She's seven now, and then. Um, we tried, the plan was that I was going to have one, that my wife was going to have one, and then and then I was going to have the second because we both wanted to carry. So we started trying for me to get pregnant when my daughter was two. It took me four and a half years to get pregnant. I had unexplained infertility. I had all these issues. Nobody could explain why I wasn't getting pregnant. And uh, as you can imagine, I started to feel a little alone in that journey. And I started looking like two, three years into this, I started looking around the, you know, atmosphere for other stories like mine, looking on the web and listening to podcasts, trying to hear other people who had similar infertility stories like mine. And surprisingly, I couldn't find one. I couldn't find any lesbian baby making stories anywhere. Like I would have, I'd find an infertility podcast and then it would always be like, this woman and her husband started this podcast and then it always went to Jesus. And like, I don't, that's not for me. It's not, I don't, you know, like no offense to those who who like to go to Jesus for, for inspiration, but that doesn't work for me. And so I just, it just popped into my head that, well, somebody needs to create this podcast. There's, this should be out there. Why? How come our families aren't out there? I have so many, I have 20 friends I can count right now who are gay with babies. Why aren't our stories out there? So then Robin and I met, we, we would always get together at a um, the gay pride family picnic. And I would see Robin literally one time a year. I barely knew her, but she was like a member of this group of lesbian moms that we all knew each other. And I saw her there and it just dawned on me, well, I should ask Robin to do this podcast. I had no inclination of actually starting this podcast. I just thought this is a good idea. So I tell Robin at the bar. Somebody else. Yeah, 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 right. I tell Robin at the bar over margaritas. All, I was pregnant. I was finally pregnant, so I wasn't even getting to have a margarita, but we were talking, and all the gay moms in the bar were like, that's a great idea. I'll be on it. I'll. So we knew we had at least one season of LGBTQ family stories just based on the people in the bar. And then Robin was like, well, come to my office on Wednesday, and we'll talk it through. And I, she's not kidding when she opened up like a hundred Google Docs and started, we brainstormed the dang title of this thing and this podcast was born and I had no idea it would be as crazy. That was a long, long, long way of getting there. Robin is shaking. You her got head. there. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. There's so much happening in my house. You got I'm there, distracted. Jamie. You got there. It's okay. But anyway, so that's how that came about. Was that the question? Yep. Yep. <laughs> By the way, welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Oh, man. It's perfect. It's perfect. So, Ugh. but I am curious, though, how did you guys come to the point of the road that you decided you wanted to expand your family? I, I always knew I wanted to have kids. Like, I, you know, I, I, I was often used to say um, when I, we said, I said this in the book that once I met a woman, I was just like, okay, so my kids are just going to have another mom instead of that strong black man that I imagined dating back in college. So <laughs> it's like, so this is, so this is my new road. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's just, I, I just thought I was going to be a mom. Like, it, like I almost arrogantly, I was like, I'm going to do better than was done for me. Like, cause my mom was a hot mess. My, my childhood was not wonderful or rosy, even though my mom's name was Rosie, which is, um, funny. Which is odd. It's a coincidence, uh, something, but, uh, you know, so, and then once I had kids out, all those, you know, myths of my greatness went right out the window. Cause you know, then like real life, then like, I mean, literally I was apologizing to my daughter last night. I was like, I'm so sorry. Cause I, I just, this morning, no, that was not my fault. That guy never emailed me to pick her up off, off microphone people. <laughs> I dropped my kid off at a school that was closed this morning, but let's not talk about that. It was not my fault. It was not emailed. We're I just really wanted. I just want to say it was the not emailed. Of real life. This is the reality of real life. Well, instead, I I spent the time when she came home trying to figure out what caused her anxiety attack, and then I was like, "Oh, you were just sitting alone in the gym." I was like, "That caused it." Okay, all right, next. <laughs> uh, Anywho, that that's my story. I always wanted to have kids, I, and for me too, I always wanted kids. Um, and it's kind of similar to Robin. Like, it didn't phase me that I, I when I realized I was gay. Um, I just, I knew I was going to have kids. I always thought that I was going to use a known donor though, because I come from the musical theater world and I have so many gay male friends who I was sure in my head, of course, would give me their sperm and want to. Of course they would. You know, um, but it didn't end up that way. I went the anonymous sperm donor route um, just because of the way things went down, but always, always knew, always knew. And I always knew I wanted to carry a child. Um, and so when my wife all of all of a sudden out of the blue decided that she wanted to carry a child too after we were married, um, which came as a shock, then I knew we were having two kids, but that wasn't always the plan. Got it. How hard? But, you know, to, I, was just, I was just going to say, we were lucky that we hit the point in the LGBTQ community where people were having babies like Melissa Etheridge had already done it. And there was already like Rosie. So there was already some people out in the world to show us that it was possible. But like my wife is just a little bit older than me. And, and some of the people we talked to that are even older than her talk about how at least one person in the couple talks about how they didn't know it was even a possibility for them. And so they never thought of having kids. Almost never like they closed, really, they closed yeah. it down. They closed the door because it wasn't possible. Yeah, it's like they never even allowed themselves to go there because once they just they realized they were gay, it was just that's it. Yeah, but we didn't. Neither of us experienced that because I think that there was something we could see. Sure, that we knew it was possible. But yeah. my wife, same as Mary, same, just was kind of like, well, I never really thought about it because I didn't think it was an option. Well, and it goes back to what you were talking about earlier: not really having the outlet, you know, the information that's readily available for straight couples. So, I mean, how hard was it to find information and resources to help you and your wives in your process of, you know, well, this is where we're going to go to find the sperm donor. And this is, you know, what we're going to do here. And because unfortunately, you know, your situation um, takes other parties, whether you want it to or not. Sure does. Very true. I think Robin and I talk about this all the time. We actually coined a term. Actually, I think Robin, you coined this term even before we started the podcast, uh, LGBTQ drafting, where you basically just do what your gay friends did before you. So um, that's how I forged, that's how we forged our path into parenthood. We really literally did what our the exact, we just did the same exact path that our friends did. And that's why I didn't use a known donor. It's because all my close friends used a sperm bank. And so that's what we did because somebody had already forged that path for us and it was much easier. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a, like a researcher type person as the Google docs, I think tells us Jamie, not so much. We're very so yin, yin to yang. Um, and so I am fortunate that we lived one that we live in the internet age, like the lesbians who were doing it in the eighties and nineties, that must've been very difficult, you right. know? And so we 
I went to like the Gay and Lesbian Center and I joined some groups and I got information that way. And I did some research online and I just typed in sperm banks. And then I just saw the two major ones at the time. And then we asked around and then there was some, some, we used to call it gay drafting, but now we're more inclusive with our language. So now we call it LGBTQ drafting. Although gay drafting just really rolls off the tongue easier, but, <laughs> but, but whatever. Yep. Um, but so, um, you know, so after we had kids, I can't tell you how many lesbians came over for cocktails as soon as they were ready to have a baby. And they were like, just tell me everything you did. And they were like, great. And then they just went and did that. Like we had like almost like a seminar at our house that included rum drinks. Like it was just like, I would run the blender and someone would come over and we'd go, here's where you're going to do with your insurance. Here's this place takes insurance. This place, you know, you're going to go here. Um, This place is a little more reputable, but they don't take your insurance. Like these are your choices. So we like had like a little 101 that we would tell people on how to do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that Jamie and I both have said at varying points, talking to our guests, there's all these options we didn't even know about. Like True. What, what couple on our, on our podcast did an IVF vacation. Yeah. And yeah. we were like, that's a thing. What? And you know, we were like that. And then another couple did this thing where they used like this almost like champagne cork and they put the sperm and the egg inside it and put it in the one mom. And it's then a, they moved it to a, the it's, other. It's not lit. It's, they didn't do it at home. It was a scientifically done yeah, thing yeah, in yeah. the doctor's office that it's this, this cutting edge technology. It's yeah. This, and it's, it's not it's, like, well, it's not really a champagne cork. <laughs> Well, I think that was clear. Really <laughs> well, that's how, they, like, that's how they described it. And they said yes. it's like a clear, um, and, but it's like, we were like, oh, so both of you carried the baby. Like yeah. there was all these like cool different things that we didn't even know existed that we've learned mm-hmm. that people have done. But so I, and we always have this like conversation of like, would you have done anything differently? I mean, and obviously you say no, because then you wouldn't have the kids you have, sure. but I don't know. I might've considered some different things. I don't know. I might've too. Maybe I, it, would have come back to the exact same thing I did. Who knows? If we had had this podcast to listen to, I might've chosen some different paths, but it wasn't out there. Like right, I said. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, so Jamie with you, how did you even find out that you had infertility issues? Well, uh, we started trying and it wasn't working. And I was, the reason my wife went first is because she was older. So she was the obvious choice to, to to start trying first. She got pregnant relatively easily. We did have to use IVF for her. We tried a couple IUIs and they didn't work. And then when it came to me, we, we were down to um, only two vials of our donor left and we wanted to use the same donor. And so our fertility doctor decided to go straight to IVF instead of doing IUI with me, even though we had no inkling that there would be any problem with me getting pregnant. We wanted it to work on the first try. So we went straight to IVF. That didn't work. And then what ensued was uh, three years of um, IUI. We went, then we went back to IUI thinking, well, maybe it should be IUI. Maybe IVF just is too invasive for my body. Um, Three years of going back and forth between IUI and IVF. Um, I did uh, three IVF transfers um, four, no, four transfers, two retrievals. Um, you should to buy her sperm donor out of retirement, bought him out of retirement, brought him back, had to buy all the vials up that he created. Although we didn't end up doing that, but that was their agreement with that. We would buy all the vials. Yeah. Um, IUIs. I did like at least over 20 IUIs and they just, they just kept saying, we don't know why it's working. Everything we see shows us that you should be getting pregnant. We don't know why. So all they could say was it was unexplained infertility. I don't even know what it was, why it didn't work. So I knew I had some kind of infertility, but I didn't know what the problem was. It was your it just, chi. It was, your it was chi. my chi. That's <laughs> my chi is messed that's up. That's my chi. That's my chi. <laughs> and then in the end, I ended up getting pregnant. I switched doctors and I ended up getting pregnant. Um, with a simple IUI, which was lightly medicated, which was different than everything. I love I how you say it was lightly medicated because as if, as if you just took a half a pill. Yeah. <laughs> I have taken so many fertility meds. I've taken them all, you know, and they've tried all these different cocktails with me and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, it was a lightly medicated IUI that I ended up getting pregnant on after switching doctors. Switching doctors and then, and then no complication during the pregnancy. It was just complicating complicated getting pregnant. Exactly. Exactly. And and then yeah, relatively easy pregnancy, everything was fine. So And Robin, you 
kind of got pregnant with no issues, no infertility issues on your part? Yeah, no, I was very myrtle. I, I know it's like so weird. Like I actually it's got like pregnant so the annoying, very actually. first, the very first IUI I did, I got pregnant, but then I had a miscarriage. And then I want to say maybe the third one after that with a different donor because my donor ran out. So it was like, so we had three tries with the donor. The first time I got pregnant, miscarriage. Then the fourth time I had to get a new donor and I got pregnant the first time and that was my daughter. And then with my second kid, there uh, we didn't realize I had sold back the extra sperm because I was like, I am never doing that again because I hated being pregnant. I was like, that was stupid. I was constipated. I don't want that again. And then we were like, we'll adopt. And then I had such an easy delivery. I had such an easy delivery that um, I was like, well, maybe that wasn't so bad. And then I went to go get more sperm and he was gone. He was, and so I didn't know that you could buy them out of retirement. So I joined the sibling registry uh-huh. and, and found a woman in Bogota, Colombia who had a vial and she had a a child by the same donor. And she was like, I've got one more. She was like, do you want it? And I was like, definitely flew to Bogota, did an IUI there and it didn't work. And then another woman who had the same donor sent me a vial from Seattle and then that didn't work. And then we gave up and I got a new donor, got pregnant the first time. And that's my son, Henry. So they have different donors, but both times it was like three or four IUIs unmet. And they weren't lightly medicated at all. There was no medication. <laughs> no medication. But I think that Robin's story really, really, really um, uh, exemplifies like the fact that even when it's easy for us, LGBTQ folks, it's still not straightforward. I was still on a flight to Bogota. And, and, and hanging out with a whole family a of people donor, who don't you know. speak English. So even when it's easy, it's still a journey. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And I'm curious, and I um, want to ask this question because it was, um, I just saw a video uh, from a show called Vice, and they had a gentleman on there who was a donor. He was a sperm donor. Um he thought that he was donating and that it would be a maximum of five donations that he would potentially do. Well, come to find out, um, I believe as of the end of last year, they were up to 20 children and still no... uh, No cap? No, no, of, you know, how many actually is going to come out of that. And obviously this is a big thing, especially for um, lesbian women who are, you have to go this route, right? You don't really have much of a choice. You need someone to provide the sperm. So, you know, how do people kind of, I mean, what do you think about with that? I I think that first, first of all, there's a lot of um, folks in our community who actually don't go the sperm donor route because sperm bank, they, you mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, the sperm bank route because they are afraid of that yeah. because sperm banks do cap for a certain um, depending number of bank families, bank. but depending on, it's bank by bank and uh, the caps are pretty high. Like uh, the sperm bank, both Robin and I use, I think they cap it at 20 families, but that doesn't mean 20 children. That's 20 families. Um, so that can be a lot of children, depending on how many children each family chooses to have. Um, yeah, I think my oldest, I think there is, my oldest has less than the, my youngest, my, the donor, my youngest has upwards of 15 kids that I, that we know about. But that's the, that's another point I want to bring up like uh, Robin's story, because Robin knows all the donor, the donor siblings, they, they, she has private Facebook groups, they've connected. And a lot of people we speak to on the podcast who have LGBTQ families also know their siblings. And that once the stigma is taken away from this fear of, oh my God, all these children out in the world that we don't even know once that stick, and I haven't met mine yet. So I'm still on the fence on this, but once that stigma has been taken away, every single couple or parent that we talk to who has reached out and gotten to know the siblings finds it as a blessing. Mm-hmm. It's um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't done it yet, mainly because I just can't get my life together enough to make a <laughs> private Facebook true. group and find these people. But um, I think that that's just an interesting thing that happens. Yeah. And it is a scary idea. But once again, once you get to once know Once you it, get over it. Yeah. Once you get yeah. over it, it's interesting. Like I almost think of them as like cousins to the kids. Like my daughter has 
um, like Facebook kids, Facebook messenger, you know, it's like really regulated and a bunch of the donor siblings are on there. And there's one girl in Seattle who's six weeks apart from her. They look really similar. Uh, There's a donor uh, sibling that lives eight blocks from us. And we found out, she came into the group later. We found out we had been living two blocks from each other for, for over two years. And 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 her and, Mac, and Maxine, my daughter, look so much alike. It's so crazy. And they hang out sometimes. And it's just this crazy, weird thing. But I let my kids be the driver of it, of whether or not, like my son has no interest, but she's interested. And so they kind of, they're old enough to drive it. But that said, I do personally, and I'm not speaking for the podcast or for Jamie or for anyone else. I do believe that it should, there should be a federal regulation in some way, like with caps or because it's just like, you know, you don't want too many siblings yep. out there. I don't know. Yep, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And not just on the sperm donor side, on the egg donor side as well. Um, I do definitely feel as an industry that sometimes we do a disservice to people and, um, you know, not giving them the information because one day these um, sperm and this egg that comes into this embryo eventually become a human, which will eventually become an adult, yeah. which will eventually want to have answers mm-hmm. to what makes, what makes me me. You know, yeah. how, how did my ancestors look and, you know, yeah. And down the line. Um, and I was, you know, for instance, with myself and my children, I was very upfront with my kids about being an egg donor because in the back of my mind, I always had the fear that what if they met each other somehow down the line somewhere Yep. and they try to have a relationship and it's like, oh no, 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 hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because technically you actually are related and that, you know, and those were my fears. And knowing that I have three boys and a daughter um, that's mine, and then I do have a a stepdaughter as well. um, But for my biological children, it's just like, yeah, well, um, I, I want you guys to know so that you are fully aware that, you know, there are people out there who have my DNA. Uh, and you need to be mindful of that. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is definitely a disservice that we're yeah. as an industry, number one, and not regulating it. Yeah. Um, and quite honestly, I feel like surrogacy and egg donation on all sides should be regulated because there's yeah. too much, there's just too much happening and there's really no, not enough oversight. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, think- I was just going to say that said, like in, we've talked to people in England and Australia where they're really heavily regulated and then there's a, sh- a shortage of sperm donors. Right. So it's kind of like finding that balance of regulation because the, all those people are going rogue and doing things in these like secret Facebook groups or open Facebook groups where donors are just giving sperm to people and there's no regulation at all. Yeah. So. Sorry, Jimmy, go ahead. No, yeah. And I just wanted to add that on that note, and until there is more regulation, we talk a lot about, we talk with every family about how we talk to our kids about their origin story and the importance of it and the importance of explaining to our kids exactly where they come from and being completely upfront and honest the whole time. And a conversation that we haven't had as much and that one that's just recently come into my life because my children are younger. um, They're just seven and three. So my seven-year-old is of the age where it's if, if I don't talk to her about the fact that she has donor siblings out there mm-hmm. soon, it's going to be too late and it's going to, it's going to end up damaging her. And I haven't had that conversation with her yet. And so that's something that I think actually we really do need to bring up even more on the podcast, but it's something that, um, that's a whole other conversation that needs to happen because a lot of these children have possibly 20 siblings out there that they don't know exist. Yep. Um, and so I'm working on trying to figure out how to s- start to slip that combo into yep the bedtime routine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's an important conversation, especially since um, this past uh, November, I got to speak to my donor baby um, who is now 15. Um, oh, wow. and her family shared with her for the first time um, this past year that she was donor baby. Oh, and, um, you know, her biggest thing to me was I always knew that there was something 
different and something <gasps> was off. Um, and she was like, and then the weirdest thing is like, I have like this thing for shoes. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. That is so me. <laughs> I have this thing for shoes. And then funny enough, it my son has this thing for you. Like this boy will spend money on shoes. Like, you know, we... <laughs> It, like, it's ridiculous how much money he spends on shoes, but it doesn't fall far from the tree. And 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 that's a trait that she received. Yeah, from wow. Her, right? Which is so funny, something that small. Mm -hmm. But that could, you know, somebody can literally sit there and think about like, oh my God, like, yeah, nobody, like, I'm just so different than the rest of my family. Why is that? And mm. never really knowing. And then when I spoke to her, she was like, I just knew something. I didn't know what that something was, but I just knew something was off. And that's so interesting that she felt it. You know what I mean? And that's why we always talk, we had a therapist on Dr. Lisa on, and she talks about this drop the seed method of, of, of telling an origin story and how there's like, you need to let the child lead the conversation, but you need to start young and it needs to you be part of, seed. and you just keep adding onto the story. So like we started talking and saying like, you, like we needed a part from a man and the man helped us. And, and then it got more added on and we had the complication of having to have two different donors. So I waited until they were a little bit older to be like, and Henry has a different man that helped us make it than you, than you did. And like, and then, then we added in donor siblings and the, these are from your donor and these are from his donor. It's like, and we've been adding all along. And so it is just part of their existence. But 15 is like, that's tough. like, that's like, it, it, and you left now, I mean, no judgment, but that kid was feeling all this time different. And if they had started that conversation when that child was little, they would have just been part of their core. I think a lot of the reasons why some parents don't drop the seed early on is because it, they're afraid that it's going to be too much for the child to take. But what we learned is that the children takes in what they're capable of taking in and it doesn't damage them to hear the rest. No. So you just, you get the story and you just keep saying it. And when they are ready, they will take in the information. Yeah. And there's um, books for everything. everything. So it's like, you don't even have to lead the conversation. Like I bought a book and then we read the book and that helped me get comfortable with it, helped my kids get comfortable with it. And then there came a point where I didn't need the book anymore. It just became part of our conversation. And then now when they have questions, they ask them. Yeah. It's, it's so funny because for us, it might still be slightly uh, weird and out of the ordinary that we created our families this way, because we're coming to this with our own stigmas that we bring to, to life. But for our kids, it's just normal. It is what it is. Yeah. I have two moms and I had sperm to make me what? So, you know, which is yeah. just a testament to, you know, the resiliency of it kids. goes back to society making it where that it needs to be structured a certain way and it has to mm -hmm. follow this guideline and it has to be this way and it has to, and society, I think, has a lot of control over people's lives when in actuality, it really shouldn't. Mm -hmm. so you should be worried about how is it going to affect me and my children? And, and as long as I make it okay for my children so that it's acceptable to them and they know Know that they are in confident within themselves and how they were born and how they were brought up and what you know whatever then I think that is where we as a society needs to be like okay you know what it's not going to always you know just like you said Jamie uh, for you Jesus is not your thing well for right. me it is but that makes you no less of a person it makes me no less of a person it doesn't make me not want to talk to you not when I have <laughs> Uh, you know, conversation. I hope not. Because, I mean, that is just the most stupid. That would be an abrupt ending to this podcast, wouldn't it? <laughs> Click. <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense to me whatsoever. So, um, and especially when it comes to, you know, infertility, I mean, gosh, there's, there's already the stigma there. And then mm -hmm. you know, add on to the other layers in some ways it's easier for us because it's really obvious that we're two moms and they're we're missing that, a dad, yeah. you know? So it's like, we are forced to have that conversation. Like I had a coworker and a friend who used egg donors and uh, I don't believe either one of them has told their kid. And it's like, that's you like, your kid's getting older. I'm like, you're going to like, you're going to pay the price. It's like, they're going to figure it out or they're going to know something. And then they're going to be like, you betrayed me. And it's like, for us, we, we, there's, there's nothing to, you gotta, like they know we that there's to. not a dad showing up and they start to say it in different ways. Yep. 
there's an organization called We Are Donor Conceived. And they have a magazine and they have a website and, a, you know, private Facebook group. Definitely, you know, things that people should check out because um, I actually did have a conversation with the founder. Um, she'll actually be on our podcast soon as well. And we had a very good conversation. The idea of, you know, what does it mean to be the child of someone that was a donor conceived child and how their lives are. And, you know, as the parents, we're just thinking about the here and now and kind of being the selfish of one of, well, I want to have a child and I want to have a baby and I want to, you know, become a parent and, you know, and I want to be able to give my child a great life and all of the things, right? We all want to be able to do that for our children. It's just like, yeah, but did we think about long-term how that's going to affect this, you know, one eventually adult uh, and how that's going to be? So, yeah. Okay. I mean, I just want to say, Eloise, I don't think it's selfish to want to have a kid. I don't think it's selfish at all. I think, you know, everybody wants, well, not everybody, but straight people do it on accident and they get their kids. Um, so like, I don't think that we should say that we're selfish because we want to have kids, anybody. Like if you want to have a kid and you're having a hard time doing it, then you, by all means, do whatever you need to make that happen. But like you say, make sure that you're responsible about it and you're thinking about the child's well-being once that child comes into the world. Agreed. That, and that eventually that child is going to become a, an adult. Yes. Um, and, you know, and you have to be raising that child, knowing that eventually they will become an adult. So Yeah. And that's why both Jamie and I made the choice to use sperm donors that were um, open, meaning when our children turn 18, they can, if they choose, get contact information for the donor. And there's varying levels of what information you get and from bank to bank. But we didn't, both of us chose not to close that off because we were like, I don't want to take that decision away. And again, like Jamie always says, no judgment to anyone that did because we've had guests who are like, no, I don't want somebody messing it up coming in. I want our family to be closed. So like whatever decision you make needs to be rooted in how you feel you want to raise human beings, but nobody. And I would, I, I stand firm on this. I'm about to get like, nobody is more intentional. <laughs> and I don't even know where that came from. I was like, what? I don't know what that but was. Nobody is more intentional than LGBTQ people when we make kids. Like we have to think through because you can't miss apart every single thing and we make and we make these really like conscientious decisions about how we're bringing a kid into the world and i you know so that's that's where we're all starting from sure. okay robin which is why it's i'm stepping down soapbox everybody i got all that rust can I get a hallelujah? I don't know I what happened. I don't know what that is. I need. Can I get an amen? Stop! I need you to step down, please. Step down. <laughs> Never. Oh my goodness! Uh, I you see you what I deal with. Laugh! I told you. Uh, <laughs> what do you feel is the biggest challenge that potential LGBTQ plus families face, and what are some ways uh, we can be an ally for change? You know, money. <laughs> Well, that's a huge one. Yeah, but, well, yeah. mm. but, and you're in that egg donor surrogacy world. So you know that it's not just LGBTQ folks who have to go through the, yeah. the money of creating our families. But I think that I was just thinking about this question. I have no idea why I was thinking about this question this morning. But I think for me, one thing that could make everything a little easier to handle is if people didn't just assume that everybody is heterosexual. Mm. If this whole, if everything is just so heteronormative when you go into a doctor, when you do anything, everything is just, just assumed from the straight model. And if we could move that just a little bit to a more open towards alternative realities, I think that would, for me, that would be a really wonderful thing. I'm so tired of having to explain the fact that, well, no, I have a wife. Well, no, I'm a gay mom. I'm just tired of having to do it. I wish people just didn't assume that that I'm, that I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I feel like I'm just on a soapbox as like Robin now. <laughs> oh, oh my God, Jamie. 
<laughs> Robin, chime in. Like, I was going to let you just go there, Jamie. Make I, sense I, of what I'm saying. I, no, I'm I'm with you, Jamie. I I think in particular in fertility clinics, that's a place where you're you're modeled in. There's an assumption. I think this is what Jamie was saying. There's an assumption that you are a person with fertility issues, and you're not. You're just a person missing a part. Unless if you're, you're part of an LGBT, unless you're Jamie, and then it does turn out that you have issues, and then it, there's a problem with your chi, and you can't have a baby. Um, but like you know, but there, there, it'd be great if the modeling there was, you know, I you know was was okay. Let's what is your situation versus right. like you've been trying at home for twelve months, and then you're going to run me through the same process. Right. Um, I would also add to that. Um, you know, I, I, I did say jokingly money, but I don't mean it jokingly. I, there is no way with the exception of, um, foster to adopt where we can have a kid that doesn't cost money. No way. There's no way it's going to even, I had my kids relatively easy and each one of them cost over $6,000. And that was before sperm tripled in price. Um, so now you're in, in for two grand a month for sperm alone. Um, so I, you know, it would be nice to see companies uh, and 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 straight folks work with um, LGBTQ alliances in the workplace to get fertility coverage, and not just for LGBTQ folks, but also for other people who for are everyone, are struggling. Everyone. But yeah, like to 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 fight for that kind of stuff, to fight for the equality in, in insurance and and in financial aid, and and also maybe just like. Just, just listen, like, you know, you're like, don't say dumb things. Like, why don't you just adopt? Like, just don't say that, you know, sure. just like, I'm, and I'm sure again, that's the same for LGBT or straight folks who are going through fertility issues. Like let, let people make a kid however they want to like, leave the judgment at the door and just help. Mm-hmm. Yes. And don't ask who's the real mom. <laughs> just don't ask that. That's not a great question. <laughs> yeah. I- but people do. Also, don't be like that lady Barbara on our Facebook page who wrote today, you guys are sick. Don't so maybe, do that. Don't do that because that Barbara is not a nice person. That's not a friend of ours. But the best part is a former guest was like, why are you here, Barbara? Oh, Which I thought, I thought that was, was you, amazing. Robin. No, no, it was a former, it was, it was Freya. Oh, nice. Okay, I know. She's like, Barbara, why are you here? And I was like, go ahead, get Freya, get her. Be gone with you. So, so the house on you too. Let's recap. <laughs> be an ally. <laughs> don't assume and don't be Barbara. That's three really important things you can Unless do. you're a different Barbara, then you be the Barbara you, you can You be, be a good Barbara. You be Barbara Streisand. We have nothing against Barbaras. You be just that one. Jamie, okay, so backstory on this, Jamie doesn't <laughs> like to offend anyone. No so one. I like to try to see if there's something I could say where she won't apologize. Well, I'm already thinking just, how I'm going to fix the fact that I just, I offended all, all, the, all the Barbaras. All the folks who love Jesus, too. <laughs> so she, God, she always- knows. you're fine. You're she always has to say, uh, not to offend anyone from Ohio. I don't and, want to offend what, and then all, Rob's always like, well, I want to. So here we go. Well, I so. have to say that, Jamie, because you said that. It's like, you leave me no choice. But now I got to be the other voice. And then I get the negative reviews on the Yelps. <laughs> well, and then, but also though, back to kind of um, Jamie, you're, I mean, I, I probably offend people often, um, I'm sure. <laughs> I because it. I just kind of speak my mind. And I also feel that as a society, everything offends everybody. And yes. you know, everybody's afraid right. to share their opinion because they're going to hurt the other person's feelings. Right. You're right. right. You're going to get canceled now. Right. Now you're going to get canceled. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and my thing is I have a right to say what I want to say, just like you have a right to say what you want to say. Now, I don't have a right to harm somebody. I don't have a right to curse somebody out or, you know, well, that depends on who you are. <laughs> if it's Barbara, you can curse her right out. You can curse that Barbara. You can go just to that, that Barbara right now and curse right, her out. Right. Just that Barbara, no other Barbaras. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, but it, at the end of the day, it's like, but you can, if I say something to you that you, Jamie, or you, Robin, don't like, it's not my responsibility to um, be you and accept what I say. You get to accept it however you want to accept it, just like I get to say however I want to say it. It just depends on who's on the other line or who is on the other side and how you want to take what I am saying to you. And then from your thoughts, you can kind of dictate, well, I mean, that was, you know, a positive thing or that was a negative thing or that was just a, there was no emotion to it. It is, it is what it is. So, you know, yeah. I, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we need more Very room true. in society today to clean things up. Yeah. It's like, no, there's, there's no, it feels like there's no cleaning anything up anymore. There's just, you said something yeah. and then I'm, and then I'm, that's it forever. Yeah. 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 We like, like I, that's, I teach my kids. If you make a mistake, clean it up. We need a little mercy. Yeah. Right? A yeah. little just compassion. Yeah. All, everybody. All we all need Except mercy. for Barbara. She does not get mercy. <laughs> Barbara does not. You, you don't mean. get to call us sick. You and don't get to gone. say that, Barbara. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I wish Barbara was listening to this so that, so that she could see how little we give two Fs about her. Well, we do comment. We keep talking about Barbara. No, it's so. funny. Barbara's giving me jokes all day long. I'm just going to start calling her Barb. Anyway. Barb, our good friend, Barb. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. So going back though, a point that you made, Robin, about the cost it's always going to cost you money and there definitely needs to be a better system. Um, and I know that it's a challenge for LGBTQ plus families um, with minimal benefits, especially even insurance. So I know you had mentioned you, you can use your insurance or whatever, but I, I mean, and just dealing with all walks of life and all types of different um, families, it's very unusual for insurance to cover anything. Yep. Yes. Um, now, there are some companies that are beginning to assist, you know, employees with um, help for adoption or surrogacy or fertility care, but it's not many whatsoever. No. Um, and as far as what they're contributing, it's still not a lot. I mean, if you think right now, surrogacy um, in the U.S. is probably about $150,000 when it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, then if you need to utilize an, a donor without surrogacy, but if you're just working with a donor, you're still looking at probably fifty, sixty thousand. dollars um, And then, of course, you know, depending on if you just need a sperm donor, not just, but if you need a sperm donor and with thousands of dollars that's going to cost, you're already in a hole and the child hasn't even got here yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, what can we do as a society to uh, really work with um, government officials? Because they're the ones who really have a say in yeah. what is going to be um, paid through insurance. And uh, unfortunately, we're in the state of Georgia. We have one of the worst insurance, um, you know, benefits here in the entire state. Like companies don't pay diddly doo doo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really, I mean, it would tragedy. It'd be nice to see, like, you know, there's an adoption tax credit. It'd be nice to see that for fertility, infertility issues, or or LGBTQ planning. Like, but how is that going to happen when state governments are still trying to take away? gay marriage and 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 the right to adopt for LGBTQ people. Like, there's just no way that's going to happen while that's still, that fight is still on the table. It's just, you know, it's unfortunately, it's just where we're at. I mean, we just have to, I, I like, I just feel like as a, a community, LGBTQ people have sometimes just have to, you got to just like wait your turn and it stinks, but it is like, it is what it is. Yeah, I think, I think a big problem is like, you know, a big government doesn't, it doesn't reflect the entirety of our society. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the intersectionality of our society. We are, it's, they have this like cookie cutter plan. And if you don't fit into it, you're not going to get covered. You don't, it doesn't count. And so we need to start seeing, however, society needs to get these stories out there so that we start getting recognized, however that has to happen. Yeah. But somehow, like you said, Eloise, government has to start recognizing us and, well, and people need and to it's stop not being just, homophobic. I mean, it's, well, yeah, it's, but it's not just um, LGBTQ people. It's people who have to use sur straight people who have to use surrogacy. Sure. It's straight people who have infertility because even they're not always covered. No. Oh God. Um, no, but and, there's, you know, that's an like insurance this, problem. Our, insurance companies don't want to spend the money. You know, it's like, yes, but this comes from like government, like every it's, it, it's a, it's a, a, you're seeing the world through rose colored glasses that don't exist type problem. And until all aspects of um, society are recognized, 
then these changes aren't going to be made. But the main thing is we're not recognized. So many parts of society, be it LGBTQ, be it infertile people, be it black and brown people, are not recognized mm-hmm. by the higher ups. Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of getting them to notice us. And what do we have to do? I have no idea. I don't know what we need to do to get noticed. I'm much I'm much more like glass half empty on this than you are. They recognize us. They notice us. They don't like us. All yeah. those groups that you mentioned and they hold they they hold them down. It's a form of oppression. Well, we just took it dark, huh? No, 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 no. No, we just took it to real conversations that need to be had. <laughs> yeah, they do. People don't want to have them because they are uncomfortable conversations. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um but it's real and it's reality and it's something that we need to start having and we need to start paying attention and things need to start happening because it, like you said, it's not just LGBTQ families that are having to deal with this. It's black and brown families. Yep. It's, you know, I mean, Lord knows I have plenty of straight uh, families that are going through infertility that call and I was like, how in the world do people pay for this? Like, yeah. How do people yeah. come up with money for this? And, you know, the majority of us are not the Kim Kardashians of the world and who nope. have, you know, umpteen millions of dollars to just drop on a surrogate and say, you know, like, yeah, just let's have two or three or four or five. Um, mm-hmm. That's not really reality. Um, and then as much as you pay for insurance, good Lord Jesus. I mean, mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. It ought to do uh, something. It ought to do something. Uh, I mean, give me a break. So, yeah, it's, um, it's just, I don't know. It's it's frustrating. It's on all counts. It's very frustrating. I had something I was going to say and then I lost it because that happens. <laughs> well, it's. I think it, I think what's upsetting is that there's it ends in like this because <sighs> there's nothing right now. There's like uh, like you can fight, yeah. but it's like you were talking about changing. Like we have an insurance problem in this country. Yes, you know we people are not covered. Period. Full stop. We and we we have a a, a a large population of people who, in my opinion, erroneously believe that we should not cover everyone. That there's people should be put pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, and they should. Then I paid for my insurance. You pay for yours. Like those right. people. That's who we are fighting. And until we have a mentality of coverage for all. I don't understand how we could even get to the nuance of fertility coverage. Yeah. That's, you know, so that's why it ends for me like a. Whew. It does. It ends like that. We also, we've gotten a lot, we've gotten some flack from listeners too. Like mm-hmm. we share all stories. So we've shared a lot of stories of, of gay men who have gone the surrogacy route and they share with us all how much money it costed. And, and they are very, they're wealthy individuals. Usually these folks that we talk to who have gone the surrogacy route to make their families. And then Inevitably, we hear from listeners who are like, you know, it's nice that you share these stories, but it's not fair to the rest of us who don't have money. This was a privileged man that you brought on the podcast and you should be making sure that you're including all. Like, but we're trying to tell all stories. Yeah. We've gotten flack for- We've gotten flack for people, for for putting, for saying that, for talking about the, the regulations needed around these sperm organizations or sperm groups, like the Facebook groups, because they're like, you're being classist against the people who can't afford the sperm. Right. You know, and I'm just like, well, let's, we're like Jamie said, we're just trying to share everybody's story, all different ways. Um, but it's, and, and, and I don't divided. that. And the majority of people, and again, I can only speak for myself having this agency now for 13 years, but the majority of families that have come to me, whether straight, whether gay, whether individual, whatever, they're not, you know, the majority of them are not walking in here with loads of money and they have all of this stuff. I mean, some of them have struggled. They have taken, you know, loans on their homes. They've taken money out of their 401k. They've taken out loans. Family members are helping to pay for stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they have, I've had somebody that literally did a, um, uh, uh, GoFundMe. Like, uh, GoFundMe, but they actually like smart. Uh, ways to help, you know, make money and had family come and they made food and all kinds of stuff, try to rut fundraise. And mm-hmm. I mean, people think of all kinds of ways to be able to have their children. It's not just because you hear somebody that says that they did a surrogacy route, that it was easy just because they're sitting here and they're saying, yeah, well, I paid for this and I paid for that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you don't, you don't know, know how they did. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and so you can't assume anything. And that is, you know, another issue with this country is that everybody wants to assume something because they don't see the full detail. Right. Because the they don't actually read the email. Right. <laughs> That's what I say. Read the email. <laughs> All the way through. From but it's also just like, again, like, like, I feel like there's like some themes in what we're talking about. This like full circle thing about uh, empathy and patience, just because we're highlighting this story doesn't mean we're not highlighting all stories. Doesn't mean we're not, we care about all the stories we care like, and we can't be more clear about that. But if you're listening, if you're listening with a pair of sunglasses on that, that are colored to say that we don't care about you, well, then that's what you're going to hear. Yeah. Right. And like you said, and I love that how you said it, like, I can't be responsible for what you hear. Yeah. Like I can, right. I can clean up my impact if, you know, need be, but I can't be responsible for what you take. Right. We need to be able to extend mercy to yes. everyone. Yes, to um, everyone. Exactly. So um, uh, curious. And I was on a recent, your recent uh, show last week. Um, yes. So you guys go and check it out on YouTube if these ovaries could talk. It was a great conversation. Oh my God, it was such a good conversation. Good conversation. Yes, I was, um, I didn't behave myself. Let's just you sure did. You sure did, Eloise. You did, you did just what, what we wanted. It was amazing. It was a great conversation. You said what needed to be said. Yes. So, and one of the questions that um, I had asked after the fact was about lesbian women becoming surrogates and what your thoughts are on that. And if you know of any, because it's, I mean, like I said, I've been doing this now 13 years and it's, it's very been far and in between. Yeah, we, not that many lesbian surrogates out we there. We had one on our podcast who was a surrogate. She started off straight. She was straight when she was a surrogate. Yes, but she only wanted to carry for gay men. Yeah, and I and, think that was one of the signs that told her she might be gay. <laughs> that and she liked boobs. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, I could not even help myself. I, I was like, don't do it, Robin, and I did it anyway. And you did it anyway. But um, I've been thinking about that question <laughs> since you asked it. And I had a couple of like things that I thought could possibly be the case. And one of them was that thing we talked about earlier, like where like we shut the, a lot of like lesbians, I think shut the door on having families prior to the younger generation now that are just like, of course, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have avocado toast and a baby. But like before that, I think like the, the all that baby making stuff was just off. Yeah. And I think they put them in a world. But then I also wondered, and I don't know, Jamie, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. But I wondered too, is there's also in our community, there's a lot of um, like people around the spectrum of gender and different experiences. And we had a couple of guests who never wanted to carry because they maybe weren't that comfortable with their female side gender or their that part of themselves and they didn't want to carry. And so I wonder if that impacts some people too. I don't know. What do you think, Jamie? Um, I can see. I, I mean, we're, we're just speculating here because there's yeah. really no scientific data. I Googled it. I didn't find anything. Just so as you know, I tried to find some kind of article on it or something, but there was nothing. So we're speculating. And I think, yeah, I think both of those things, Robin. And then I, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, well, also, maybe it's because when you're gay, and if you know you want to be a parent as well, which I feel like most surrogates are also parents. Mm -hmm. Well, they are, it's required, yes. Right, so if you know that you're going to want to be a parent too, then maybe you don't want to waste whatever time you might have being a surrogate and you want to spend that time creating your own family. But created your own family and right. So that doesn't make But it's not an easy road for us oftentimes too. So it's like, is that something emotionally you want to then go through? Like maybe there's some emotional tie to it being hard or like, and it's not going to be some easy thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. Because like we've said, like uh, we, we require, um, what is it when somebody comes outside in to help you out? We require a helper, a helper to get ourselves pregnant. We, we require interventions to get ourselves. We yeah. We were third party interventions to get ourselves pregnant. So maybe once we've gone through that for the number of kids we have, we we say, well, to hell with that. I'm done with those interventions. Um, but I really don't know. I really don't but know. When you think about all those things together, all those vari variables, I could see where a lot that wouldn't be a pool that you would go to. I don't know. I'm calling all, I'm calling on all the lesbians. If there's somebody out there who wants to be a surrogate, come on, 
Let's do it. Let's let's help somebody make a family. But again, maybe they never saw it as a possibility. You know, right. it's just like I, I like I keep going back to that first thing about things being shut off because it's just like if you live in a let's say you live in a small town and you have your roommate Sue and you're not even out to your family. You know, it's like you're not going to then be like I'm I'm carrying someone else's baby. Like you're you're already doing different things and hiding them. Uh, you know, it's just. I could see it not being in an ideal situation to be that altruistic. Yeah. I don't want to tie the altruism to it because it implies they don't want to be, but I could just see where it wouldn't be something you would think you'd want to do. And and I don't want to imply that because I asked you guys the question since you were a lesbian, that it's kind of like, you know, where people automatically assume I'm a black woman so I can speak for all black women. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's that wasn't the point of the conversation. Just That's now. okay though. We don't mind that. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, you, I, I would hope, you know, we don't speak for all lesbians because right. God forbid if we do, you know that. how many lesbians um, right now are saying, please don't speak for us. <laughs> like, like 99% are like, oh my God, please. That's like, well, Jamie and I are always like, we're just a couple of idiots. Just spend some time with us. Yes. And we're going to highlight some cool people. That's what we say. And you guys are amazing to spend time with. So just as an <laughs> FYI, and I could talk and laugh with you all day, um, I love the awareness, the humor, the conversation you're bringing to the table about uh, non-traditional family building. But one last thing, share with us what's in the works or next for the fabulous ladies at If These Ovaries Could Talk. World domination. She, she says that every time and it's it still Jamie, hasn't happened. I'm putting so. it out to the universe. I just started saying it. You have to be, world domination doesn't happen in six months. You got to give it the universe oh, time God. to give it to us. Oh, gosh. I just don't want any more Google Docs. Um, <laughs> God. You can put that out into the universe. It'll never happen. Yeah, maybe that we put that on t-shirts. No more Google Docs, Robin. <laughs> Please. Um, God, yeah, I don't know. We're... You know, I think this pandemic has really, I, I don't know about, I don't want to speak for other moms out there, but I am just treading water. So to think about even an hour from now, I can't help you here. I am treading water in this very moment right now. <laughs> but I'm going to contradict Jamie a little bit here and say, we did so much expansion during this COVID. Like we started a second show, the live stream, like we had just the podcast. We went from like two smaller seasons of about maybe 25 episodes total in the year to 45. We went, we added the live streams. Now it's like 90 shows a year. We like, we finished a book, wrote a book, got it out into the world. We're pitching like TV ideas. So we're, we have not stopped. And we, you know, I, I Neither of us mean to be, we but we about just a keep second book. We oh, yeah. talk about oh. that, and thankfully that just went away for a little. Or, I think or, that might have no. been too much. That was the universe going. You guys, just stop it. It's still, it's still there. I don't it's know. What, it's, it's still a thing. Still on the but table. We have this thing where about we talk about how we're spiraling up, um, and at the same time, <laughs> personally and emotionally, we're, we're spiraling down personally and emotionally because my kid's locked in school by herself with the janitor, but but the business and the, the podcast and this thing we're doing is spiraling up. It's just like these opportunities just keep presenting itself and we just keep saying yes. And, and it's I think it's, yeah, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, it's because we want to tell these stories, but you've, you've go ahead. That's what I was, I think it's the, the reason this keeps spiraling up and the reason why this project that I thought was going to be a hobby keeps <laughs> on growing is because these stories yeah. needed to be told. These stories needed to be out there. Yeah. Um, and people want to share their unique families with the world. And so we are just, um, you know, being the vessel that helps people share their families. Because there's so many. We're like the surrogates of your stories. <laughs> <You're so laughs> full circle. Full circle. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Yeah, so, you know, um, the, it's important. Yeah. I, I don't have anything else to say. Well, I was just trying to stop myself from turning into Oprah and going, you get a vessel. I you can't. get a vessel. Stop. Oh, my God. Robin. I don't know what's happening. That's all right. That is all right. COVID has definitely made us more insane. Like, when we do, we get together, like, once a week to do the intros and the outros for each episode. And... They're just getting weirder and weirder we because on track. we're just this, this, we're just this. Well, I think COVID has definitely made people crazy. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. That's the right word. Sum it all up into one. It's crazy. Like, yeah, I, 
I know I am. Um, and, you know, Get as long your... as we're all accepting of it, you know, that I think that is the first stage. Yeah, everybody needs to, here I go again, extend some mercy for all of us dealing with this pandemic yeah. life it's not easy we're just get, get all... yourself some better help get yourself some better help we can't some talk therapy we can't therapy. not talk about online therapy enough like we're just so such big fans yeah we're but just treading it, water and at least everyone is treading water like it's not like jamie and i are cracking up and you're sitting there to eating bonbons you're cracking up too and i think in a <laughs> way that like i mean i want to put words in your mouth eloise but i can see it yeah, i'm just kidding <laughs> just kidding eloise <laughs> But you know, so it makes, I think it makes people feel better to know they're not alone in this. And that's all Jamie and I want to do in general is let people know they're not alone. And just like, even if we tell a story of somebody's story, that's really hard or sad, we still try to find the humor in it because you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, to find more information about these amazing ladies, please check out their weekly live show on YouTube, listen to their podcast, and go get their book. If these ovaries can talk, ladies, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we you love for you. having we us. Think you're amazing. Thanks for having us. We do. I was just sitting here thinking about how do we get more Eloise? <laughs> I know. I want Eloise. That's my husband. And he'll, he'll be like, no, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Your husband can hang out with our wives. Right, yeah. right. Yes, <laughs> he'll have a lot of stories to tell. Yes, that'll be fun. They're yeah. so sick of us. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you found this discussion helpful as you weigh your next steps. You can follow Fertility Cafe on its new Instagram and Facebook channel under Family Inceptions. If you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.